Welcome to the North Main Podcast, a production of North Main Street Church of God in Butler, Pennsylvania. This podcast brings you North Main's messages every week. We strive to know God intimately, grow in Christ continually, and go for Him daily. I invite you to listen in today as we explore the Bible and learn about its unchanging truths for living life God's way. Let's listen in to this week's message. We started a series last week called um, Kindness in the Wilderness, and we are exploring this month the narrative of Numbers and Deuteronomy in the Old Testament. If you're not sure where those are located, they're right smack dab at the very beginning of the book. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Numbers is called Numbers because... It's the accounting of the numbers of those who wandered in the wilderness. Deuteronomy is called Deuteronomy, which means second law, okay? Second law. And it's a second law because the first law, which was iterated in Exodus, had to be reiterated to the next generation that came up in the wilderness that was getting ready to go into the promised land. So today... We're going to be looking at a particular story that some of you might be familiar with. It's about Moses and Aaron in the 40 years of wilderness wandering, and they're at the end of the rope. Have you ever been to a point in life where you think, I am at the end of my rope? A couple of you. Have you ever been in a situation where you thought was so desperate there was no other way out, and you didn't know what to do And you're pleading and begging for God to show up, and he just seems really quiet. Okay, a couple of you on the front row do that. These are, yes, rhetorical, but it's okay to respond to your pastor. He loves to hear you, your beautiful voices, all right? Um, It's been a rough week in many of your lives. Uh, I know this because many of you have talked to me. I know this because... Oftentimes, there's a sense of discernment that comes when people are carrying heavy burdens. And and there are multiple different reactions that we often have in the midst of stressful or tense or frustrating or disappointing situations. And those reactions can be, it's all right, just going to put my nose to the grindstone and push through it. Sometimes we just want to throw our hands up and say, seriously, again. Sometimes we get angry. And we get angry at people and at God, and sometimes that anger is not directed appropriately, nor is it managed appropriately. Sometimes we get frustrated about circumstances and situations, and rightly so, and instead of looking to God, we look to other things to solve those situations and frustrations in our lives. Well, Moses and Aaron, in Numbers chapter 20, they have been in the wilderness now with the Israelites for about 38 years. How many more till we get to 40? Two more. 30, a decade, two, or excuse me, three and nearly a fourth decade they've been in the wilderness. The wilderness is a place much like the desert, but don't think of only sand. In the wilderness of the region where they were just south of modern-day Israel, it is scrub brush land. Only weeds and thistles grow there. Rarely do you get water, and if water does come, it comes in such torrential downpours that it floods through these things called wadis, which are just valleys that come down the sides of these rocky-faced hillsides and mountains. And so you don't want to be in a valley whenever a flood comes because it'll wash you right out. 
This is not hospitable land. This isn't a great place to find food, nor is it a great place to find water because water is extremely sparse there. And so we come up on the scene 38 years into the wilderness wanderings, and the people start to complain again because they have uprooted, remember the cloud by day, the fire by night, where God would move his presence, and they were to uproot last week and go wherever the presence of God went. Do you remember that? And so they have recently moved. They're now in a new location, and this location is not as good as the last It's the wilderness. I don't know how much good you can get in the wilderness, but there is zero opportunity for water. And so the people began to complain again. This time, by this point, guess who's complaining? You're 38 years into the wilderness wandering. The reason they were cursed to wander in the wilderness is so that the generation that left Exodus would die off in the wilderness because they weren't willing to go into the promised land because the people there were too big and they believed God had led them there just to be killed by the big people in the land of promise. And so God said, fine, for 40 years you'll wander in the wilderness, a year for every day that the spies that were in the land went and took, took a look at the land that I promised to give you. So now they're 38 years in, most of their parents and grandparents have died. Not all of them, but most. So which generation is now grumbling and complaining in the wilderness? The younger generation. Younger generations, not always, but tend to do what they have been taught and learned previous generations. Is that the way it is in the church? Sad, but yes. You see a lot of dying churches around our United States, and many of them didn't learn from their mistakes or their past, but continue to perpetuate mistakes and things that aren't fostering the advancement of the gospel of Christ to the new generations up and coming, and instead of thriving, they're barely surviving, and many of them monthly are closing the doors. But that's not the sermon for today. What is freedom? As we talk about freedom today, we're going to talk about anger. You know, we've been given freedom upon freedom upon freedom. And I'm not talking about politically in the United States. I'm talking about by God, who our creator endowed us with certain inalienable rights. And those rights are that we have the freedom to do whatever we want, but there are also consequences to the decisions we make. If we decide to use our freedom in a way that's abusive, difficult, or bad, guess what happens? We reap the results of the freedom we've used to do those things we shouldn't have done. But what about using our freedom to serve God and others? What if we put restraints on our behavior so as to serve better the kingdom of God and his righteousness. What if we did that? It's interesting, when we use our freedom in a way that's restrained and is focused on the things of God, we become more free rather than less free. What the world tells you, though, is that the church does nothing but put constraints on you. It's a bunch of do's and don'ts that you shouldn't do. It's all about not having fun. But I, and you know what? The the world has a good argument against the church not having fun. Because 
I see church people every day, and in three different states, and on three different continents at this point, and Christians oftentimes are some of the most miserable people on the face of the earth. They really are. And it's because they've fallen into this lie that God is one who takes you through the ringer, and that's what this life is about, and so you just have to suffer. And honestly, if you look at the early first church in, in the book of Acts, what happened when the disciples suffered? I said this in my class this morning. When they got beaten for the sake of Christ, what did Peter, Andrew, James, and what did they do? They came out shouting praises to God that they could suffer for the sake of Christ. When I'm suffering for the sake of Christ, my first response is not to be joyful and to praise God. My first response is to say, oh, woe is me. And then I wear that sorrow around on my shoulder. Now, you might say, well, I can't be fake to the rest of the people around me. I have to be sincere. You are correct. I'm, never say, I'm not saying you shouldn't show your disappointment and frustration at times. But if all you're ever showing is disappointment and frustration, then the enemy has you exactly where he wants you. Focused on the negative things in life rather than a hope you have in Christ Jesus, who has given you victory over sin and over death. When the world hates you, Jesus says, remember, it hated me first. You're going to be hated. You're not going to be liked. People are going to look at you over the top of the rim of their glasses or they're going to scoff at you and they're going to call you a hypocrite and a jerk and you're going to hear all of this negative stuff if you truly are living for Christ and you have one of two choices. You can say, okay, I'm still going to love you and pray for you anyway. Or you can take that frustration and wield it like a weapon against somebody who is not your enemy, but is rather a person created in the image of God. So Numbers 20, let's look at what unrestraint or unrestrained anger does. In the first month of the year, the whole community of Israel arrived in the wilderness of Zin. In some versions, it's called Sin, S-I-N and not Z-I-N. I think that's really interesting. And somewhat ironic, the wilderness of Zen or Sin, and they camped at this place called Kadesh or Kadesh Barnea. It is a famous place in the Old Testament. You can read about it in other books as well, but in Numbers chapter 20, this is where we see finally them coming to rest 38 years into their wilderness wanderings. <clears throat> While they were there, Miriam died and was buried. Who was Miriam? Moses' sister. And Aaron was Moses' brother, okay? So Moses' sister, Miriam, died. She was of the older generation that had to die off in the wilderness. There was no water for the people to drink at that place, so they rebelled against Moses and Aaron. 
Do you notice they rebelled? Who did they rebel against? <clears throat> Moses and Aaron. The people blamed Moses and said, if we had only died in the presence of the Lord with our brothers, uh, excuse me, if only we had died in the presence or the Lord's presence with our brothers. I'm going to tell you what brothers they were talking about in just a moment. Hold that thought. <clears throat> Why have you brought the congregation of the Lord's people into this wilderness to die? Along with all of our livestock. Why did you make us leave Egypt 38 years ago? Keep that in mind. There's context here. Why did you make us leave Egypt and bring us here to this terrible place? The land has no grain or figs or grapes, no pomegranates, no water to drink. Moses and Aaron <clears throat> turned away from the people and went into the entrance of the tabernacle where they fell face down on the ground. Do you know how often your spiritual leaders do this for you? Not that we are greater than anybody else, but do you realize your spiritual leaders, not all of them are great or perfect, most of them are not. Am I losing battery power here? Kind of phasing in and out. Most of your spiritual leaders aren't perfect. All of them actually are not perfect. But the reality is we carry a lot of your burdens before the Lord, and we lay face down in the presence of God for you. Not as a self-sacrificial thing, but as a way because we love you. We care for you. We want God to intercede for you. So no, Moses, <clears throat> who has contended with these people, who God has called to lead out of Egypt and into the land of promise and now suffered to wander in the wilderness for 40 years, 38 years in, the people are grumbling and complaining yet again, wanting the fruits of Egypt. Yeah, it was better to live in slavery and at least have meals every day and water every day than to come out here in the wilderness as a free people and die. So they go and they fall face down on the ground at the entrance of the tabernacle and then the glorious presence of the Lord appeared to them. And the Lord said to Moses, you and Aaron must take the staff, the wooden staff that he had, <clears throat> and assemble the entire community. Again, you've got well over a million people here in the wilderness. Assemble all of them together. As people watch, speak to the rock over there, and it will pour forth its water. You will provide enough water from the rock to satisfy the whole community and their livestock. So Moses did as he, as he was told. <clears throat> he took the staff from the place where it was, where it was kept before the Lord, and then he and Aaron summoned the people to come and gather at the rock. Now I want you to listen what Moses does. Listen, you rebels! He shouted. Must we bring you water from this rock? Then Moses raised his hand and struck the rock twice with the staff, and water gushed out. So the entire community and their livestock drank to their fill. But the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, and I want you to hear these words, because you did not trust me enough 
to demonstrate my holiness to the people of Israel, you will not lead them to the land that I'm giving them. Moses and Aaron were going to be able to enter the promised land. But now two years away from the end of their wilderness wanderings, God said, you didn't trust me enough. And so you're not going to go in to where they're going. This place was known as the waters of Meribah, which means arguing. Because there the people of Israel argued with the Lord, and there he demonstrated his holiness among them. So here's the takeaway. If you don't catch anything else from the message, self-control is the discipline to follow God's commands rather than our own personal impulses. I've read that passage over and over again throughout the course of my life and study of the Word, and and I've always thought, God is really mean. Excuse me. God is not really nice to Moses. I mean, all right, he made, he, he didn't do it exactly the way God wanted, but he sacrificed 40 years of his existence for these stubborn people. Is he not allowed one mistake? Is he not allowed to just mess up? Why was God so hard on him? Why did God say, fine, you're not going to enter the promised land now because you didn't trust me? But God, I've trusted you all the way up to this point. One of the authors of the New Testament says, in your anger, sin not. Have you ever heard of that before? In your anger, do not sin. Oh, but as sinful, broken, and fallen people, are we not prone to sin in our anger? To yell certain things at certain people, to react in a way toward others that's unbecoming, and we have this sense of justification that we're right. The people were rebels, weren't they, in Moses' day? Was he saying anything that wasn't true? No, he wasn't. They were really not great people, grumblers and complainers to the very end. So why didn't God cut Moses and Aaron some slack? I want you to look at the dynamic of what's going on in this narrative so that you can maybe relate to what Moses and Aaron were going through and maybe understand why God did what he did. Do you know what happened? What, was the first, what does the first verse tell us was happening? What happened? You remember? Moses' sister, Moses and Aaron's sister died. Have you ever felt grief of the death of a loved one? Are you in a good mental state when somebody close to you has died? Now, you go through, everybody goes through what we call grief. And we all deal with grief differently. We did a series back in the fall called Good Grief, and we talked about how grief is a part of the the sadness of loss and difficulty, and it's a part of our healing process. Moses and Aaron have just lost their sister. Do you know who this sister is? Most scholars are pretty sure that this is the same sister all the way back in Exodus where the Pharaoh in the land had said, all male children under the age of two must be thrown into the Nile River and killed because the Israelite people in the land of Egypt were growing so numerous that they could take over by sheer numbers the Egyptians. And so what does Moses' mother do? 
Well, she has this baby. It's a baby boy, not a girl. The boys are to be thrown into the river and die. And so she says, I can't do, I, I can't, I, this can't happen. I can't do this. And so she weaves a basket made of reeds. She coats it with pitch and tar so it stays buoyant and is waterproof. And she puts the baby nestled in this basket at the edge of the Nile River and he, she lets him go and he begins to drift. Do you know who follows that basket? More than likely it was Miriam. She would have been about 10 years old at the time according to most archaeological discoveries and historical documentation. This 10-year-old Miriam followed and watched this basket wander and weave its way through the currents of the Nile River on its way to the Mediterranean Sea and it just so happened that it drifted upon the doorsteps of Pharaoh's palace where Pharaoh's daughter was bathing that day. And if you don't know the story, Pharaoh... Pharaoh's daughter had compassion on this little Hebrew baby. She knew it was a Hebrew baby. She knew what her father had, e the edict he had made to kill all the Hebrew children. And she's like, I can't do this to this baby. Well, Miriam is right there. And she says, <clears throat> she says, why don't I take the baby back to his mother so that he can be nursed and when he comes of age after nursing, I'll bring him back to you and you can raise him. And she's like, that is a fantastic idea. Will you do that? Miriam, of course, yes. And guess by the divine providence of God, where does Moses go back to? He goes back to his mom to be raised and weaned and then when he's of age, he goes and lives in the palace, Pharaoh's palace. Oh, how God moves and works in miraculous ways if we have eyes to see. Miriam had loved her brother, spent time with him, knew that he was in the palace all those 40 years before he left to go into the wilderness, escaping the threats of Pharaoh who was going to have him killed because he murdered an Egyptian soldier. And God provided in the wilderness, and then he called him out of the wilderness through a burning bush to go set the captives free, the Israelite and Hebrew people free. Go set them free. It's time. So he goes, he leads them out. Eleven months into the exodus, is when the people rebel against God and are forced to wander in the wilderness now for 40 years. 38 years have passed. Miriam dies, and they weep and are groaning. I have to believe that. When we are in a grief-stricken state, we don't often think clearly. Oftentimes, our emotions are on this weird roller coaster. And I have to believe that when the people started now to complain yet again, that Moses is like, are you kidding me? My sister just died. Are you serious? Grow up. You aren't the only one with problems. You ever felt that way? Do you ever feel like you just want to say, leave me alone for just a minute? Quit hassling me. And it says that when she had died, 
And the people started complaining, did Moses and Aaron say a thing to the crowds that were complaining? I can picture in my own mind, the people say, are you serious? We, sh- we would have had it better in Egypt. We should have died with our brothers in the wilderness, which I'll get to in just a moment. And Moses is a much better man than I would have been because I would have been like, are you serious? Do, do you not remember the God who parted the sea and then caused it to crash in again on the approaching Egyptian chariots and soldiers? Are you serious? Did, did you know the, the manna that God gave us from heaven when there's nothing to farm out here? You experience that. And then the other time that God gave us water from a rock, Don't you remember these things? You are so ungrateful. You ever feel that way? And so we move on, and these people who have rebelled, Moses, which is the second point, by the way, Moses and Aaron don't say a word to the people according to the Scripture. They're grumbling, they're complaining, and I can just imagine, and I'm not saying he did this. This is my... Please understand, I visualize all of these things. I'm a very visible or visual person. I can just picture Moses and Aaron just going, and just turning and walking away. And they go to the entrance of the tabernacle, and they just lay face down. Because quite honestly, when you've lost something of significance and you're grieving, and then other people are now complaining, saying their troubles are worse than yours, basically, What else can you do? God, (laughs) I got nothing. And you lay face down in front of God and you just say, I've got nothing left. I've got no words. And God gives an answer to Moses and the grumbling people that we don't expect. Because you remember in the past, while in the wilderness, God had come to Moses and said, I'm I'm done with these people. Do you remember this? I'm done with these people. They're worshiping golden calves. They're doing stupid stuff. I mean, really, what more do I have to do to show them who I am? And they're willing to worship other gods? I'll wipe them out. Moses, I'll start over with you and your children. Do you remember the Moses of that narrative said, no, Lord, don't do that. The Egyptians and all the other nations who knew that these million, these well over a million people that you, your people that you allowed to come out of Egypt and into this place of promise, if you wipe them out in the wilderness, what will people say of the God that they worship? Whoa, that God just brings him out and he kills his own people. So God, if you're going to blot their name out of the book of life, just blot my name out as well. And it says, if you remember when I talked about this a couple weeks ago, that God relented and said, okay, I won't do that. But I am going to give consequences for their behavior. So now Moses And Aaron are laying flat on their faces before God at the entrance of the temple. 
And God says, here's what I want you to do. I'm not going to kill them. I'm not going to send plagues. I'm not going to open the ground and consume them. I'm not going to do anything of the sort. You see that rock over there? Yeah. I want you to go to that rock and merely speak to it, and it'll give forth water. Okay? All right. Moses gets up, having seen God punish the people time and time again. Do you know what the people had asked for? Why couldn't we have died with our brothers? Do you know what they're asking? Do you know the story of Korah in the Old Testament? Abiram, Dathan, all in the wilderness wanderings. They are the ones that rebelled against Abraham, or excuse me, not Abraham, against Moses and against Aaron, but more importantly against God, and with the, the Korah, who were a line of priests, who said, why does Aaron and Moses get all the leadership accolades? Who are they to be the ones to lead? We should be the ones to lead. And there was a coup. And Korah's like, I'll take over, and so will my people. And Moses and Aaron say, fine, if that's what God wants, then let it be. But let's put it to the test. You and your people and the ones that we've already had going under my leadership will stand before the Lord burning incense. Whoever the Lord favors is the one he wants to lead. Guess what happens to Korah and his followers? Well, the ones carrying incense were burnt up, like zapped, and burnt into oblivion. And then Korah and his household and all the tents of the people who were followers of Korah, it says the ground opened up, swallowed them whole, and closed back. It's like one of those apocalyptic movies you see today. Do you know that that's what the people who are grumbling and complaining right now about not having water, enough to, for themselves or their lifestyle, they're saying, we should have died with them. Let our names be counted against with those people. That's what they're saying. They're not saying we should have died in Egypt of old age. They're saying we should have died under the curse of God. How lost do you have to be to wish you had died under a curse of God? That's the context here. Now, again, Moses, has lost, Moses and Aaron have lost their sister just recently. The people are grumbling and complaining, and, and to add insult to injury, they say, we wanted to have, we should have died under God's curse. If you were their leader, how would that make you feel? Having gone through a really difficult circumstance of the loss of a loved one, and then having to lead a people who were constantly in rebellion and now had wished that they had died in the wilderness with their cursed brothers and sisters. My guess is, if you were like me, you'd say, these people are unleadable. What am I, I, I need to, in our day and age, a pastor would say, I guess my ministry's done here. They're not willing to follow my leadership. I felt God had called me here, but I guess, I guess it's done. I would have quit a long time before Moses, and he never quit. 
Do you know the longest term of a pastor, or excuse me, the average term of a, a stay of a senior pastor in the United States is five years or less? We give up way too easily, don't we? So what's the next thing? What happens? Moses and Aaron. So the people, Miriam dies, they're racked with grief, the people rebel against Moses and Aaron, and now what do Moses and Aaron do? They rebel against God in their anger toward the people. Do you realize doing what God, not doing what God told you to do is rebellion? Did you know that? We don't like to hear that. We, we like to call it disobedience. We like to call it, well, I was just praying just to make sure right? I just, if I pray long enough, maybe God will let me off the hook, but it's this faux kind of uh, humility that we're, we just aren't willing to take action when we know God's called us to do something. And so Moses and Aaron rebel against God in their anger. anger. I want you to listen to what um, Raymond Brown writes. He says, at first, Moses took the staff from the Lord's presence. So this staff he doesn't carry around. He keeps it in a holy place in the tabernacle, in the Lord's presence. And God tells him, take the staff right over there and go to that rock right over there and then raise your hands before the people and speak to the rock and they'll give forth water. So Moses takes this staff from the Lord's presence just as he was commanded, but instead of speaking to the rock, he spoke to the people. Did you catch that? God didn't say, speak to the people. He said, speak to the rock. And what does he speak to the people? He curses them. Did God tell him to curse the people? No, but in his anger, he wielded what he would have considered righteous anger, but was not against the people. You rebels! He harangued them for their behavior. And God didn't tell him to do that. And then he struck the rock twice. And he struck it. Do you think he was like, tap, tap? When you think of striking something, I'm guessing, in his anger, that must have been a really strong staff. Made out of some really hard wood. Because we aren't told it broke. But he whacks that sucker twice. And I bet you could hear the whack against that rock in such a way that it echoed throughout the whole crowd. Let there be no mistake that I hit the rock. Have you hit a rock before? We call it hitting the wall today. Have you hit the wall, come to the end of yourself? Have you come to the end of your circumstances only to realize that you are now roadblocked? What do you want to do to the wall, the block, the rock? Because of your circumstances and your situation. You want to break it. You want to hit it. Speaking to it wasn't enough for Moses. And he hits the rock. I'm going to guess with all of his might. But he doesn't hurt the rock. Guess who he hurts? No. Some of the most angry and hateful people I know 
Yes, they leave a wake of destruction, but the one person they hurt more than anyone else is themselves. And they're forced to continue to wander in a wilderness of their own making until they die there, which is sad. I've seen so many people refuse rescue because their pride gets in the way because they feel like they are right to harbor anger and hatred. And not even God can change their mind. Brown goes on to write that as the Lord's servants, they were meant to be models of submissive obedience. The people expected them to do everything just as he had commanded. In the teaching of Numbers, nothing is more important than obeying what God says. If you read the whole book, you see it's about obeying God completely. God says, uh, obeying what God says is what is the most important thing. Whether you agree with it, whether you understand it, this is why we always ask, do you trust God? I, I, when I come into difficult circumstances and I begin to question God, one of the things that I feel God always asks me is, do you trust me? And the God I've come to love and know is a trustworthy God, even when I don't understand how he moves or why he moves the way he does or why he doesn't move in the ways I think he should. And I have to err on the side of saying one of two things. No, I don't trust you anymore. Or yes, I trust you because you've always proven to be faithful. It's not been easy, but you've always proven to be faithful. So who else, who else would I go to? You remember in the Gospel of John where Jesus draws a line in the sand and there are countless people following him and he tells them, you must drink my blood and eat my body if you want to continue to be my follower. And they didn't understand what he was saying and kind of got freaked out, I think, as most of us would. And many of them, if not all of them, walked away that day. And Jesus looks at his disciples and he says, what about you? Are you going to leave too? And Peter speaks up. And what does Peter say? Whom else would we follow but you? We've left houses and families to follow you. Who else has the words of life but you? Finally, Brown affirms that both men, both men had spoken powerfully for God throughout their lifetime. And great things the Lord said to them are preserved for us in Scripture. However, that day at the rock face, Moses used the gift of speech to harangue the people rather than to exalt the Lord. And instead of making the decision making the occasion a joyful manifestations of God's effortless control over nature, they turned it into a scene of bitter denunciation of the people. The heedless crowd deserved to be called rebels, but that's not what the Lord wanted them to hear that day. A visible display of his astonishing mercy was spoiled by the angry rebuke of a self-willed speaker. When God generously endows his servants with the gifts that they need, they must not be used for personal satisfaction or human applause. Frederick Buckner, as our worship team comes forward, Frederick Buckner in his book, Wishful Thinking, Transformed by Thorns, writes, 
of the seven deadly sins, anger is possibly the most fun. Seriously, have you ever found that to be the case? I mean, there's this twisted sense of satisfaction when we're angry because we want to feed off of that anger, don't we? Maybe you don't know this. Maybe you've not experienced this, but many people, when they get angry, it sends a surge of energy. And that energy sometimes is contagious. He goes on to write, to lick your wounds, to smack your lips over grievances long past, to roll over your tongue the prospect of bitter confrontations still to come, to savor to the last toothsome morsel both the pain that you were given and the pain that you are giving back in many ways is a feast fit for a king. But the chief drawback is that what you're wolfing down is yourself. The skeleton at the feast is you. How do you use your freedom? you use it to honor God or do you use it for selfish motives? In the heat of the moment when you've lost yourself, do you react out of that sense of loss of yourself in a way that is unbecoming of someone who is a believer in Christ? Or do you supernaturally rise above the circumstance and trust the Lord and do as he has called you to do. If we consider the story of Moses and Aaron in this passage, we see consequences of using our freedom in our anger to disobey God's commands. And what we convince ourselves is righteous anger oftentimes is not. And rather than follow the commands of God when situations become unbearable, we all too often err on the side of sticking it to the man. They need their comeuppance, and I'm going to be the one to give it to them. And we forget that Jesus reminds us in the New Testament that vengeance is not yours. It's only his. And why is that? Because we are sinful and broken people who do not have the mind of God. And in our anger, we are prone to sin rather than to not sin. And so instead of taking vengeance, we allow it to the one who is perfect and can take vengeance in a perfect way. When we become slaves to Christ rather than the sin that so easily entangled, entangles us, we become free. And we take on God's nature as his image bearers in a way that we never have before. Martyrs in the book, uh, we talked to our, our team about this, this or our class about this this morning, Fox's Book of Martyrs. Have you ever read it? Are you familiar with it? It's a really old book. But it, it goes on this journey of those who have been martyred for their faith in Christ Jesus. Those who stood the test of their faith against horrible circumstances. And do you know what martyrdom is? It's dying for what you believe in, basically. But in this case, it's dying for the sake of Christ and your faith in him. And so this book of martyrs accounts so many different stories of men and women of the faith who were abused, who were, abused, who were beaten, who were rejected, who were scandalously uh, refuted in front of the people, lied about, cursed, burned at the stake, hung upside down, disemboweled, 
heads cut off, stretched out on a rack and torn into pieces. They were ones who experienced the worst of what we would call human suffering, and yet, on their lips, in their dying breath, they say, praise the Lord. And they can pray for those who persecute them. Like Stephen the martyr in the book of Acts, as he's being stoned to death by religious people. Just like Jesus who hung on the cross, he said, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. Where are you in your anger? Your frustrations, the heavy weights you carry around? Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am meek and humble at heart, and you can find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and the burden I give you is light. Or are you charging headlong toward that rock, and you're just going to beat it to a pulp, knowing that there's nothing you can do to the rock that you aren't already doing to yourself? Some of you are encountering and experiencing pain upon pain, sorrow upon sorrow, loss upon loss. And you think, what more can you do to me, God? But it's not God who's doing it. God walks with you through the deepest, darkest valleys of the shadow of death. He's with you. Isaiah 53 says he's one that is griefs He's acquainted with our griefs and sorrows. He goes there with us. If you need prayer this morning, come to my right, your left. Somebody will pray with you. Maybe you've come to the end of yourself. Maybe you are being controlled by anger and just intense emotions of hatred or fear, and you don't know what to do with it. And it's eating you up like a cancer inside of you. But you've done all that you know to do. And you've come to the end of yourself. And God's saying, I need you to go and let somebody speak life into you and to talk to you and to walk with you through this. If you want to begin that journey today, somebody will pray with you over here. If you, you know the answer and you are the one that's at fault and you've carried anger that you know you should have released and maybe you need to go ask forgiveness to somebody else or you need to forgive somebody else and you know the answer to the solution of your troubles and you just need to pray but not be messed with by anybody else, you can come to my left or right. There's an altar here, there's steps. Let this be a place of healing and deliverance this morning. The enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But Christ came that you would have life and have it abundantly. And you can't have abundant life if the cares and the sorrows, the pains, and the anger of this world are weighing you down. Doesn't mean you can't be angry. But in your anger, don't sin and don't allow it to have control and victory over you. Heavenly Father, in this place, you are one who knows every particular situation of every particular individual in this place. Though 
Everybody in this place can hide everything from everybody else in this place. Nothing is hidden from you. And the coolest part of all of that is that though you see into the deepest, most inner recesses of our heart and our lives and our minds, you know the anger, the frustrations, and even those sins that we harbor in our thoughts, you still love us. And you would still die on the cross for us if we were the only ones here. So Father, forgive us this morning. Bring us to the end of ourselves, to that sweet place of surrender where all of our pride is stripped away and we've got nothing left to offer you but ourselves. Heal us in this place. Let our journey out of the pit start now. Help us to stop striking rocks. And help us to be open to speak the truth. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for joining us this week. Check back next week as we dig deeper and go further in our understanding of God's word. Make sure to visit us on our website, www.northmaincog.org, where you can learn more about us. If you found value in today's message, we'd appreciate a rating on iTunes, or if you'd simply tell a friend about the show, that would be helpful too. Donating to the ongoing ministry of North Maine is easy. Just go to our website and click on the Give tab at the top of the screen. Thanks for listening. We look forward to you joining us again next week.